every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, second Saturday of the month here at Rosie on the House, which means we are Talking Trees. ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower is joining us in studio. And if you're following along our home maintenance calendar, you know we're talking about our tree of the month is a carbo tree. And we're also be talking about fertilizing palms. And Mr. Eisenhower, you have a guest in studio with you this morning. I do have my good friend Stephen Price joining us today, another certified arborist and a and a, a great colleague and a and a a lover of trees. And it's always good to have Stephen at my side here. And we're talking about the carob tree, carob tree, the carob tree. Yes, Ceratonia <laughs> uh, siliqua. Uh, if you want a uh, uh, if you want a beautiful shade tree, evergreen shade tree, um, this is a kind of an underutilized tree. You don't see them too often uh, in the nurseries, but uh, they are available. And why why do you not see them regularly? You know, trees, like a lot of other things, are 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 is sort of a supply and demand. If people like certain trees, if they're easy to grow, easy to cultivate, the nurseries tend to keep them in stock. Um, and there's also probably a little bit of a a, a profit motive uh, with the nurseries also um, carrying trees that achieve their landscape purpose quickly. That are faster growing because yes. they're easier to. Uh, to cultivate and grow in the nurseries, and uh, and get and get them to your your yard. Uh, this carob tree is a little more slow growing. It puts on its wood a little bit slower, uh, but it's uh, like so many other trees that that have have gotten onto my my favorite list. Um, the carob tree is one of those more slow growing trees, like your your oak, uh, your the live oak, uh, and. But it's stronger, has fewer problems, has uh, less breakage issues. If you're willing to wait um, for that tree, uh, maybe a, another tree would achieve its landscape purpose in five or six years. This tree might be eight or ten years achieving that same size. But I like it. Once it gets there, you're going to be really happy with it um, because of its beautiful structure. And as I said, it's much safer. They don't, they're not given to breakage. And it's a pretty long-lived tree too. Does it does it fit my criteria that I'm not planting anything in my yard unless it produces something to eat? It does. And what what is is it a carob bean or a it, carob nut or what is it? It is. It's a carob pod, and it's a, a black uh, three or four, five inch, sometimes up to six inch long pod. Uh, you can't eat the seeds inside. They're hard as a rock, and they could break your teeth. In fact, okay. they're okay. so uniform in size, it gave rise to the word carrot, f- by which we, you know, you weigh gold and other things are and diamonds are 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 because the uniform size. They could use those carob seeds as as a a reliable weight. Certain number of seeds oh, would weigh a certain amount. But anyway, those—that's another story. That's a great story, but yeah. You <laughs> connected to carob carrot, uh, but the the it's the outside. It's the it's actually the the out, outer part of the pod 
whereas a pea pod, we eat the peas inside, we throw the pod away. Um, with these carob pods, you throw the seeds away and you eat the outside. And it's processed into, uh, into carob powder. Many people have seen this in your health food stores. That's basically those uh, carob tree has these pods which can be processed and made into a carob powder, which is kind of a cocoa substitute. And it tastes a, lo- a, a bit like uh, chocolate. I love them. In okay. fact, you can take the dried seed pods right off the ground. Dogs love them. You got to be careful. They'll eat too many of them. Um, and they don't, they're not too discreet and they'll eat the seeds as well. And, and anyway, but they're, they don't, they can't hurt your pets, but they, they can overindulge, if you will. But I, I love them because you can, uh, we'll, we'll just munch on them when we're, when we're trimming some um, uh, carob, uh, carob trees in the summer after the pods have completely dried up. They're, I, I love them. They're just like a, like a little caramel, you know? And you say if you're looking for an evergreen shade tree. So I'm picturing this gets pretty big. It does. They can get up to about 35, 40 feet in height at, at maturity. And they're uh, wider spreading than they are tall. Again, a, a, a feature that is uh, unique. Sometimes we have these very tall trees like eucalyptus, which tend to grow taller than they are wide. The uh, carob tree has a nice uh, uh, spreading canopy, so it's great shade trees. Now, you had mentioned it's a little hardier than your live oaks. What? How does it compare in water usage to an oak? It's thirsty. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a thirsty tree, but carob trees are like the only other ones we would recommend here are very adaptable to our full sun uh, hot climates here. They, they, do, they do really well. They're just... Uh, Super adapted uh, uh, tree. They surprisingly they can be a little sun sun sensitive. You have to be kind of careful not to over trim them. Uh, sometimes you look at these dark, thick bark trees like the carob tree, and you think, oh, they're not going to be sub- subject to sunburn, but they are. And we've seen a lot of sunburn on people that have over trimmed their carob. So just be careful that you don't over trim them. Let them just grow and. And uh, that foliage, you know, just a normal canopy of foliage provides all the protection they need from from sun. And am I looking at the right tree? It looks like it's a multi-trunk. It can be. It's certainly multi-stemmed. You know, it'll you'll have, usually there's a single trunk, but the the uh, uh, above you know six or eight feet of height, then you know that you'll have a a, a beautiful uh, arrangement of of uh, structural branches, scaffold branches, we call them. That provide a, a really spreading canopy, and uh, yeah, we we love them for that reason. They, you, you, there was a lot of them planted back in the, I think the fifties and sixties, because we see them across town from time to time. They're getting at the end of their natural life now. Some of those big mature trees, but they're just incredibly gorgeous trees. I know some of your listeners who have some of those amazing, awesome carob trees are so lucky because they are. Uh, a grand uh, uh, dam, if you will, of, of just a beautiful, beautiful uh, mesic shade tree. Not really appropriate for a desert environment. They're more for your uh, a, a, a wetter um, environment. Your your mesic landscapes that have a little bit of lawn. Uh, if you've got some flood irrigation, uh, care would be a, a great addition to one of those type of yards. Two notes from me um, on the carob tree. Again, one of my favorite trees, also because they're just they're they're not rare, but they're kind of rare, and they're so beautiful when you when you get up close to them. And I can almost remember everybody's yard that I've been in. I can picture the tree in their yard, the mature ones, and just uh, how beautiful they are. 
and some of the listeners are probably wondering, yeah, carob, it, it's the same that's, uh, that we have the carob chocolates and things like that. It's that same. That's where they get that from, of course, the carob tree. And another cool note is that uh, some people refer to this tree as uh, uh, St. John's or the fruit. You know, St. John from the Bible, um, John the Baptist, because he was known, and also locusts, because he was known to be out there you know, or said to be eating locusts and honey and, and carob. And uh, so there's a real strong connection with that, which is yeah, they think cool. They think that the reference to his eating locusts and honey was he wasn't eating the insects, the locusts. They, they think that maybe that word locust was referring to the carob pots because yes. they were so widely distributed through the Middle East. And that makes sense because they are a super a nutritious um, uh, seed pods. So maybe that's what he was munching on. <laughs> well, Rosie had asked if it was edible. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, you got it. If you'd like to join the conversation, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight, one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, and you can also email info at rosieonthehouse dot com if you need to snap a picture for uh, plant or insect identification and send it along. You can also go to rosieonthehouse dot com and in the quick links on the home page. Uh, You'll see the link there for the Carob Tree where you can learn more about it. And we're also talking about our our to-dos. We have a a monthly talking tree to-do and a tree of the month. Tree of the month, again, the Carob Tree. And we're talking about fertilizing palms. If you've got a palm tree, palm trees, you very rarely see a property with just one. Not often. Not unless it's a Canary Island date palm. (laughs) Those are nice big specimen trees or, or a Bismarck palm. Anybody have a Bismarck palm out there? Those things are really cool. They're a, they're a fan palm on steroids. They have silver gray, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, silvery gray leaves, but the the fans are just monstrous. They can be six feet across just for one of the leaves. So they're pretty cool. And what do we need to do about fertilizing them? Oh gosh, fertilizing this is a, a great time to be fertilizing all your trees. Uh, but the uh, uh, palm fertilization is is a is is unique in that uh, palms often. Uh, are deficient in certain micronutrients. So a good palm fertilizer not only has your macronutrients of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, but it generally will have some micronutrients like manganese, magnesium, zinc, and iron. And a good palm fertilizer should contain a lot of those micronutrients. And the uh, we also talk about the different types of fertilization, the different methods for applying the fertilizer. We, um, people say, well, what, you know, do the, do the spikes work? Cause there are some palm spikes out there, which contain some of those micros. And they're actually, it's, they're, they're good products. Every, you know, your, your tree's not concerned about, um, how you get those, uh, those nutrients down to their root system. Cause it just chemically, it just sees the same product, whether it's a granular, a spike or a liquid fertilizer, but the, keep in mind that if you do use a spike or a granular, that you have to be putting water down. Um, and if, you're, if your emitter system is not right directly over your spike, um, then you're not going to be uh, breaking down the chemicals and getting them to the uh, – eventually that, that uh, chemical, those, those uh, nutrients need to be in solution so that the roots can up, absorb them and take them in. So um, the spikes are a little bit more – uh, difficult to manage in terms of getting that that uh, the necessary nutrients to the roots. That's that being said, spikes are okay. 
granular is better, but better than that would be a liquid fertilizer. If you can get your your uh, a liquid fertilizer down uh, in, in a soil drench around the base of the tree or out to the the, the drip line is where we like to I- encourage the uh, the the uh, solution to go. Uh, there will be a quicker uptake, and the, the plant will benefit from that. Y'all had mentioned during the break that we were near the end of our bloom cycle. And if y'all were here two weeks ago, you couldn't see green on this Palo Verde. <laughs> it was just bright yellow and that is one of my favorite times is the you get the palo verde bloom and then shortly after that uh, the white winged doves start showing up and then you get the white blooms on the saguaros here in about another couple weeks and what a lot of people don't know because they're you know they're not that observant they're not tree nerds or arborists like us but the palo verdes bloom uh, at slightly different times during the year, depending on whether it's a foothill Palo Verde, then the blue Palo Verde, then the Palo as the Sonoran Palo Verde. And right now, we're still, you see the hybrid Palo Verdes are still rocking it a oh, lot of them. And they're just them. dumping. It's like yellow snow Well, these hybrids everywhere. were cultivated for yeah. that very purpose to have a longer bloom cycle. Whereas our native mm-hmm. Palo Verdes might have a two-week bloom cycle, these hybrids can have a two-month bloom cycle. And that can be a blessing or a curse. I mean, if you're <laughs> tired, tired of cleaning <laughs> right, up all those right. blooms... Uh, right in your patio or, or dumping it into your pool, you're not a happy camper. But um, yeah, they are really have a, a showy display on right now. So yeah, if you see any Palo Verdes across town right now that are in that beautiful yellow bloom, uh, chances are they're a, a hybrid. Yes. And, and you know what I saw coming across uh, the desert this morning is a couple ironwoods starting to purple up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're starting to put on their, their bloom right now too. And don't be discouraged if your ironwood hasn't bloomed yet because they are called sporadic bloomers. Mm-hmm. They, um, they do rely upon a, uh, usually a wet uh, fall or winter. Which or we ver- didn't have. <laughs> right. Uh, or, or a conscientious watering program uh, because they do have to have, rely upon st- uh, uh, stored nutrients to be able to push a, 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 a nice uh, uh, floral display. They, uh, it's a big energy drain. For trees to put on a bloom. In fact, the ironwoods often will drop their leaves entirely. Mm-hmm. In fact, you'll see, if you look closely at your your mm-hmm. ironwood trees when they're in bloom, they're all flower. And they look like they're dying sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they put on, well, yeah, in that transition, once they put on their bloom, they, they can't support leaves and bloom at the same time, apparently. So they'll drop a lot of their leaves, put on this big floral display, and then there's that period of time after the, the flowers drop for them to put on the new to put on new leaves again, there's a, a period of time where they can look pretty, pretty um, uh, empty on the inside. But uh, yeah, you're, if you have a, a ironwood that blooms regularly, you're pretty lucky because sometimes they they can go five or six years between a good bloom. And in my opinion, probably the most majestic of the Arizona natives, and my favorite. You know, over Palo Verde, over Mesquites, over uh, you know every other variety. Uh, the, the ironwood, there's just something about a mature ironwood that y- you can't beat. I, I, I tend to agree, too. They are just, uh, uh, and, and they're, they're not as ubiquitous, uh, widely distributed as the mesquites and Palo Verdes, which tend to be so common. When you see a beautiful, glorious uh, ironwood, it's pretty cool. And I, my assumption on that is because it's a slow grower. 
Yeah. It seems like the nursery you mentioned earlier about the carob tree that they don't, the nurseries don't supply them a lot because they don't move them a lot. You know, they have to yeah. su- supply what exactly. sells and exactly. people want fast yeah. growers. Yep. Yeah. So they often overlook the ironwood. Yeah. And I, I, I think of that big ironwood that you directed me to out on Carefree Highway and I finally found it, you know. In fact, I was calling you, I think, as we were driving uh-huh. out there, we, we were looking on both sides and I said, did he say the, the south side, the north side? We finally did find it. I'm so glad because um, I, uh, our good friend Rick Kober wanted to see that tree, and he was in stage four cancer, and he said, but I, I want to go see that tree. And so I'm so glad we found it because the two of us, he, he was too weak to even walk down into the, into the little uh, arroyo where it sits. But I was able to walk down in there, and he was standing up on the top there uh, leaning on his walker and and uh, that was uh, one of my best memories. And looking at one of the best, uh, beautiful specimen ironwood trees I've seen, it's just. And what John's talking about is the Arizona State Forestry Department has a couple tree programs. One of them is the Champion Tree, and it is the largest known tree of that species p- species on record. Um, the Granite Mountain Hotshot saved a, a Champion Juniper mm-hmm. uh, from. The Granite Mountain Fire. Uh, we have one that's a, a cottonwood near Dewey that they say has shaded. Uh, it, it's it's over a hundred and sixty years old, and they and it used to be a stage stop. So they said it's it's been it's shaded. You know, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp, all you know, everybody cool. stopped exactly. along cool that, yeah. and along Carefree Highway, j- just east of two hundred and eleventh. Avenue. Mile marker. Oh, okay. Um, on the south side, in a wash, is the largest known ironwood tree in Arizona. Wow. And if you drive along Carefree Highway today, I, I haven't, I didn't come across Carefree Highway, but I was on the 303, which is pretty close. And if what's happening on there and the ironwoods are blooming, I would say this one, just look for the big purple tree <laughs> and you'll, <laughs> you'll see it. That's, that's the largest known ironwood in Arizona. Well, it's, it's what made it so difficult to see, because we kept looking for that big tree. It's down in a wash. So it doesn't look and big so when you it, pass it. Yeah, so it, it's it's not that tall on the horizon as you're looking off the highway. You have to uh-huh. get off in that little parking area. But that's a good, a good. Um, uh, thank you for that, Two, 211? 200, e- east two, of 211th Avenue. Avenue. On the south side of Carefree Highway. Talking Trees with ISA Certified Arborist John Eisenhower. Steve Price, one 767 4348 if you'd like to talk trees. Your trees got you stumped? Call in your question. 1-888-767-4348. That's one 888 you. Saturday, May 8th is World Migratory Bird Day. Arizona's home to 550 bird species. 230 are migratory, and Arizona Game and Fish has a link about making a bird-friendly backyard. But that's what we're doing right here. Yeah. You want a bird, put a tree. <clears throat> that's I, right. I sat down last night on the porch, and it was the, the mulberry trees were so loud for about 20 <laughs> minutes. You couldn't even hardly have a conversation. And then all of a sudden, a, 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 the sun was setting, and as soon as it, you couldn't physically see the sun anymore— yeah. Dead wow. silent. Isn't wow. that cool? Yeah, I remember one time uh, I, I actually took my my wife out on a little date, and we went out in the desert, and we were—this this is before we were married. 
And we um, hit that time of night when the, the sun was just setting. And we were in down in this little wash area out near Carefree. And the sun was setting. It was beautiful. And all of a sudden, these birds came in to roost. All these quail came flying into these trees in the area. It was so cool to be be there at that moment. All the all the, the birds are coming in to roost. And you're right. And then as soon as they're all settled in, back to quiet again. But, yeah, that's cool. Mulberries, any, anyone who has one of those big trees, uh, it, it, you might have the biggest one in your neighborhood. And it's going to attract all those roosting tree, those roosting birds. And some of you are saying, oh, I wish it weren't my tree because they poop all over. <laughs> and, you know, right. if you've got a, a patio, uh, you just wish that they would all go to your neighbor's tree. But there's a, there's a trade-off there because it is cool to have that, that, that uh, cacophony of, of, uh, of cackling and, and during that roosting hour or in the mornings too. Um, before the birds go out uh, and, and leave leave the roost and, and go out and about, and then they come back in the evenings. But uh, we've had some people who have, have taken measures to try to uh, distract the birds and keep them out of their yard so they'll push them over to the next, you know, if they make it less convenient um, for the birds to roost in their tree, maybe they will go down the street to a more convenient location and, and take up residence there. Um, I know that there are a lot of methods for doing that, setting up a sprinkler system. Um, some people have, you know, w- you know, put up a sprinkler that will shoot up into the branches to keep the trees back. Or they, you know, you'll hang the little reflective t- pieces of tape or old CDs to try to uh, scare the birds away. But it's a shame when that, you know, that you've gotten to the point where the birds are, are welcome. You want to provide a nice wildlife habitat, but then they can become a nuisance at some point. So... <laughs> The ficus, too. I mean, we get that all the time with the ficus, right? Love, hey, they're just such a beautiful tree when they're doing well here. But, boy, do they host Attract. the birds. <laughs> yeah. They host the birds and make a huge mess. Yeah, yes, they so. do. Yeah. <laughs> hey, before we segue, um, I just wanted to mention one more thing about the blooms. Uh, if you want to see the uh, jacaranda blooms, it's now's your time because they'll be finishing up here. And I, I always think of the Phoenix Suns. Their Phoenix Suns are doing great. And uh, the jacarandas are in bloom, and they're going to be finishing up with that dark purple, that majestic purple bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus that tree, like the same as queen palms, we're seeing less and less of them from the as the heat continues to increase every year and we set records. They're really getting beat up bad and uh, need to start thinking about other choices, even though they, they are beautiful. Well, I, we have a huge list of talking tree points where you're going to get to, but we're also going to uh, bring in Jean into the conversation because she's got a 60-year-old pine tree. I'm guessing it's an Aleppo pine, and it's not in the best condition. Jean, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you. Um, my tree is about 60 years old, and we live in North Central Phoenix. It scares me to death. and <laughs> the, the tree looks okay, but I want to know how to take care of it so you will stay, you know, live as long as possible. Yeah, if it's a 60-year-old tree, it very likely is an Aleppo pine, which is one of our taller, uh, broader spreading trees. They can, you know, because they spread, they lose apical dominance after a while. They, they, their, their central leader, the apex of the tree, uh, loses dominance, and it, and it gives way to the side branches. And that's why you, the Aleppo uh, pines uh, have what we call a decurrent tree shape. It's more of a rounded form rather than a Christmas tree form. 
And as a result of that, they can have spreading branches that are a little more prone to breakage. So you, uh, just a little bit of end weight reduction. A, a good arborist should be able to come and give you some advice on how to prune that well. Don't just strip out all the, the dead wood and and uh, uh, open up the inside of the tree by um, trimming all the branches close into the trunk uh, and neglecting the outer third of the canopy. That's what we call lion's tailing. And it's an unacceptable pruning practice. And it's real easy to do. Any untrained person can go in and stay close to the trunk and trim out everything they can reach from the inside of the tree out. Uh, a good arborist will will um, leave a, a, a nice even distribution of foliage by concentrating some of the pruning in the outer third of the canopy as well. And that's the most important because that's where all the end weight is. That's what, what cap- catches the, 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 the wind and causes a lot of uh, branches to break is is that heavy end weight. And that's why you need to make some thinning cuts out in that outer third of the canopy. Talk about a tree you don't see much anymore, the Aleppo pines. And you don't hardly even uh, – I, I looked for two years for at nurseries to try and find them and couldn't. Everyone has converted over to Afghan pines. Mm-hmm. But there was something – I'm not sure who brought the style in, but somebody, um, you know, Back at that 60, 70 years ago, the irrigated horse properties that had a row of Aleppo pines. And you see, you know, there's a few out in Queen Creek still. There's a few uh, Mm -hmm. Glendale, Central Phoenix on those, you know, old irrigated irrigated properties that are left. But you hardly see that anymore. And something about that, I just love that look. You do. We were talking about favorite trees. And now I've learned all the technical terms of why an Aleppo tree looks the way it does. I, To me, an Aleppo tree has a bad hair day. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> it, just, it always looks like it just woke up. Because <laughs> the way it spreads out I like mean, that. It just, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. There's just no conformity to it. It just yeah. goes every which way. Yeah. So... Well, you can call a certified arborist, Gene, and have it inspected and make sure that, uh, you know, taking your fears away. And just one more note, Gene, uh, just really important through these hot, hot summers, you know, these increasing uh, summer temperatures to make sure don't let it get uh, to go too long without a good watering if we haven't had any rains. Um, And I know John often recommends those soaker tubings to get out there and and get that on for how long, John? I mean, uh, yeah, I I like to leave leave a soaker hose on, you know, overnight, you know, sometimes 10 or 10 or 12 hours. And then you don't have to water again for another uh, month or or six Mm -hmm. weeks. Uh, but the uh, if you've allowed it to get a nice deep saturation of of a, of two maybe two or three feet, uh, you shouldn't have to come back for another month and a half. Just be careful not to do it just before we're expecting a, 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 <laughs> exactly. a, a, a I big always monsoon that, exactly. storm. Better to do the watering now in May yes. before the winds come in July, and we we do a lot of our our uh, better to yeah, get. Let that water, that, that soil dry out nicely before we get a big wind. Last thing you want is to have saturated soil and then a, a big 60-mile-an-hour flatline wind. They'll pull those big uh, trees over, roots and all. Um, so, yeah, good time of, uh, of year to do all sorts of pre-monsoon uh, trimming as well. We want to try to get out ahead of, of some of these storms coming in July by uh, trimming your vigorous trees now in, in May and in June good time to get that on your your calendar we talked a lot about trees that you don't see much anymore in the landscape well a tree that you're seeing a lot more of and there was a time we had 
uh, three arborists in here. I, I, I don't remember everybody that it was. I think it was you. It might have been Sarah. And uh, But anyway, a caller called and asked for a specific tree, described the layout, and all three of you recommended the red push separately. Pistache. And James has called in, wants to know how to water his young red push pistache. Welcome to the program. Hello there. Yeah, I planted this red uh, push pistache about a month ago. Uh, about uh, after the planting it, about six foot tall, has a nice spread of uh, leaves. But I, I'm not uh, sure how to water it. I did the initial watering. I used a liquid uh, fertilizer I got from the nursery, and um, I haven't done any fertilizer since. And I know we're getting into the hot months. What uh, what watering schedule should I use with this tree? You know, this is one of my specialties, my loves, is the young new trees. And uh, three things you need to uh, really think about um, right now is, number one, you need to check, did you plant it, who planted it, and make sure there's not an extra layer of soil on top of the root ball or too much soil because you might not be getting the water that you think you are. And so very, just get out there, make sure, take your little trowel or whatever, make sure there's not too much soil that was put over the root ball because you won't be able to tell. Second, you need to get, we've talked about on other shows, the soil probe and make sure that when you do water that, uh, that you are getting water down through that root ball all the way with these young trees. It's critical that you make sure the water is going all the way through the root ball. And you won't know that until you take a stick or uh, a little piece of rebar or something and get that down in there and make sure that the water is going all the way through. And then the last thing is a lot of people will tell you, even nurseries, uh, wrongly, that, hey, you only need to water that tree, you know, once a week or twice a week or just deep soak it. Well, new trees need regular waterings, and we're in May now, so you don't want to miss a watering. Every couple of days you should be soaking that really well, making sure it's going all the way through the root ball. Don't let it completely dry out. It should be a little dry between waterings, but not completely dry. Vern called in, didn't stay on hold, but we'll address his question real quick because it was about our tree of the month. He has small holes in his carob tree and wanted uh, in the trunk and wanted to know if that is normal. Well, it is normal, and it, it almost is a characteristic of carob trees. You can hardly see a mature carob tree that isn't just perforated with these small little holes. What they are is they are woodpecker holes because the carob tree is so sweet it's all of our sap suckers, the Gila woodpecker and others, um, the curbill thrasher, they love to peck and and they, they tap in through the bark, get down to the cambium. It releases a little bit of sap. They drink the sap. It's just that they're feeding. They're not really even looking for insects. They, But what they'll do is they'll sit on one spot on the tree and they'll tap, 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 make a small hole. Then they'll move just a quarter inch to the side, tap, 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 make another hole, move another quarter inch to the side of that. And so you get these very geometric patterns of a rows of these small. And if they've, they've gone far enough that way, then they'll just move over another inch or two and start the process again. You'll have these long rows of these very uniform size, you know, uh, BB size, maybe a little bit, a little bit larger uh, little round holes. And it's so characteristic of carobs. It, 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 you know, other trees have the same problems as well, 
but carob trees is quite unique uh, to them that they are there's so many of them and they tend to do very little damage the trees recover from that that injury but it's uh, it can be a little disconcerting because there's can sometimes be three or four or five hundred of these small um, holes all over the bark of the tree and as a thirsty woodpecker, <laughs> yeah. No, we we should take a picture of one. And in fact, if that that homeowner could take one and maybe send it into Rosie on the house, we could put post it on the website, and you can see uh, what this uh, caller is referring to. It's quite interesting. Okay, well, we would love to do that. We're going to sneak one more call in and then get through a couple uh, bullet points real quick. Uh, Bob wants to talk about a Chilean mesquite tree in Peoria. Welcome to the program. Thank you, John. Thanks for taking my call. I've got a three-year-old Chilean mesquite in the front of my house, and um, it's, it's rapidly growing some new branch shoots towards the bottom, towards the base of this multi-trunk tree. And I usually cut them off because aesthetically it just looks, looks better. These are very quickly growing. There's probably 30, 40 of them there. And am I, am I doing the tree harm by trimming these off, or should I let a few grow out? Well, the more you could allow it to grow, it's they are contributing to the overall health of the tree, as opposed to citrus suckers, which are taking away uh, nutrients uh, and energy from the fruit-bearing branches. With a mesquite tree and other um, evergreen trees that have um, uh, a lot of prolific growth from the base of the tree, uh, it's just all contributing to the um, health of the tree. Uh, is it worth um, leaving those in if it's aesthetically a little bit uh, cluttered, uh, maybe not. You're probably right to say, you know, should I, if, if it's only a three-year-old tree, if you want to encourage some additional architecture at the base of the tree, uh, maybe you, you do want to keep one or two of those sprouts that's growing in a favorable direction, that's growing into to fill a void on one side of the tree, and you could create a, a, a multi-trunk tree that has a few more stems. So I, I, I kind of like that option. Uh, take out the, all the, the clutter and maybe leave one or two that are uh, a little stronger growing and, and nicely uh, 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 located at the base of the tree. And in a few years' time, you'll have even more uh, architecture in that low part of the tree. You know, we are talking about fast-growing trees being more popular. That's one reason I don't like mesquites. <clears throat> when I... I've got to trim those things two, three, four times a year sometimes. Yes. I don't want to – I like the trees. I only have to go trim once a year or once every two or three years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a good, good, another good reason why we, we suggest the oak tree and the carob tree because the, the, the slower-growing trees just require less work. And they're also less litter-producing because when they're putting on wood more slowly, they're also dropping their litter a little more slowly. So – uh, good, good reasons why these um, slower growing trees are uh, are desirable. Now we'll have all these talking points uh, and to dos up on our website. But one that I want to get to is the uh, the best method for fertilizing is by a soil drench. Talk us through that in about the last two minutes here. Well, it's it's really the method of of application of fertilizer that mimics our natural rainfall. It distributes the the uh, fertilizer. Uh, by in a liquid form, by just simply s- drenching the soil surface, and as Steve was mentioning ab- about those feeder roots, uh, all of our trees have small feeder roots, like our capillaries in our in our circulatory system, that are very very small, and they're sitting uh, just inches below the soil surface, uh, uh, 
far enough from the soil surface to be insulated from the intense you know summer heat but close enough to be ready to absorb any water that's there and they're distributed evenly around the entire tree all the way to the drip line so if you can flood that you know flood by flood irrigation distribute the the fertilizer it's it's you're getting that uh, those nutrients uh, most readily to the tree Whereas if you do deep root fertilizing or using spikes or even granular, there's just a longer process to get that fertilizer uh, to the plant. So we really are strong advocates of, of the soil drench method of applying fertilizer. It, like I said, it, it mimics rainfall and it just gets it right to the plant as quickly as you can. More difficult on slopes and things like that. So you may have to uh, put a temporary berm or poke some holes mm-hmm. to allow it to down to get in there, but uh, ideally, absolutely the best. Yeah. A, f- a problem few of us have, but yes. it was a noteworthy point. Why <laughs> few extra steps if you're on a, a on terrain? Savatree.com, S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com, and and help me say it, John. Sitherism. 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 Yes, the sound of wind rustling in the leaves. <laughs>